Chapter 12 of Mildred at Home by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Proverbs 12.18 Many months had passed, bringing no news from the westbound sons, and in spite of their trust in God, Mr. and Mrs. Keith were often not a little anxious. Miss Stanhope had returned to her home in the fall after the boy's departure. Her pleasant, cheery companionship was much missed, and but for Mildred and Zilla being so near, their mother would have seen many a lonely hour, though she found agreeable occupation for a part of each day in teaching Annis, keeping her from school, and constituting herself her governess. This took up the morning hours, while the married daughters were engaged with household cares and duties. In the afternoons, if the weather permitted any of them to go from home, were usually spent together at one or another of the three houses, the ladies busy with their needles, the children playing about the room. Both Mildred's and Zilla's cares were increasing, for each had now a little daughter. That made four little ones to claim the love of the grandparents and help to win their thoughts from the anxious following of the absent sons and in that way they were providing great comforts as well as cares. So the winter slipped quietly away, without any startling event to mark its progress. But in March, Mrs. Keith had an attack of pneumonia, which greatly alarmed the family and kept her in bed for a fortnight. She was about again, but still feeble, and in consequence of her weakness of body, more than ever anxious and distressed about Rupert and Don, from whom no news had yet been received since the letter from Independence so many, many months ago. Mildred spent every spare moment with her mother, doing all in her power for her comfort of body and to cheer and interest her and keep her mind from dwelling upon the absent dear ones. Dr. Landreth, too, was exceedingly kind to his mother-in-law, for whom he had a very strong and filial affection. He would have sacrificed his own comfort at any time for hers, and was more than willing to have Mildred constantly with her, while she was so feeble and ailing, while all his skill and medical knowledge were exerted for her benefit. One evening, while helping her mother to bed, Mildred remarked, I wonder what has become of Charlie. He hasn't been in to see you this afternoon. Perhaps that is an evidence that he thinks me a great deal better, Mrs. Keith answered in a playful tone. Then more seriously, he has been very, very good to me, Mildred. You must tell him I appreciate his kindness. He knows you do, Mother, Mildred answered. But indeed, it is a real pleasure to him to do anything in his power for you. He says you are the only mother he has ever known, and a very dear and precious one. No doubt he would have been in this afternoon if he had not been prevented. I fear somebody is very ill. A few minutes later, Mildred, passing out of the house on her way to her own home, met her husband at the gate. He gave her his arm almost without a voice, nor did he speak during their short walk. But Mildred's thoughts were busy, and she scarcely noticed his silence. It was too dark in the street to see his face, but on entering their own sitting room where a bright light was burning, she caught sight of it, and its pale, distressed look struck terror into her heart. Oh, Charlie, what is it? She cried, dropping her cloak upon the floor and throwing off her bonnet, 
then putting her arms round his neck and gazing with frightened, questioning eyes into his that were full of anguish. My darling, I don't know how to tell you, he said hoarsely, holding her close. My brothers, she gasped, turning pale as death. He bowed a silent assent. What? What is it? she asked, scarcely able to articulate. The worst, he said. It may not be true, but there is a dreadful report about town that the train was attacked by Indians and several killed. Rupert and Don among them, she faltered, half inquiringly as he paused, leaving his sentence unfinished. Yes, but Millie, dear, it may be altogether untrue. She was clinging to him and weeping as if her very heart would break, her whole frame shaking with sobs. My brothers, my brothers, my dear, dear brothers, she cried. Oh, Charlie, Charlie, why did they ever go into such fearful danger? I thought it for the best, love, when I advised it, he said in a pine tone. But if I could have foreseen. Dear husband, I forgot it was by your advice, she sobbed. Forgive me. I should never think of blaming you. Thank you, love. I can hardly help blaming myself, though reason tells me I am innocent. Ah, if I could but have foreseen. But you could not. No mortal could. Both killed? Both gone? Oh, it is too, too terrible. The door flew open and Zilla rushed in, closely followed by Wallace. He was deathly pale, and his eyes were full of tears. She was weeping aloud. Oh, Millie! Millie! she cried. Was there ever anything so terrible? It will kill Mother. She can never stand it in her weak state. We must manage to keep it from her, the doctor said. How can we? She will see it in our faces, sobbed Zilla. We must control our features, and we must banish every expression of grief from them and from our words and voices when in her presence. Her life may depend upon it, for she is very feeble just now. We will all try, Wallace said with a heavy sigh. Let none of us venture into her presence until we are sure of ourselves. It will be very difficult, but I believe God will give us strength, said Mildred. If we ask it in faith, oh, it is an awful, awful thing, she cried a fierce paroxysm of grief sweeping over her. Then growing calmer, she said, But we have strong consolation in the certain knowledge that they were of those who trust in the imputed righteousness of Christ, that they have made their peace with God and were ready for the summons home. Yes, said Wallace, we sorrow not as those without hope. And dear mother, who lives so near the master, and realizes so fully the blessedness of those who have gone to be forever with him, will, I doubt not, be able to bear up under this new trial, terrible as it is, when she has regained her usual health. No doubt of it, the doctor said. But, oh, it is so terrible, so terrible, sobbed Zilla. Far worse than any of the many trials that have come to us in the last two or three years. Does father know? asked Mildred. Has he heard? Neither the doctor nor Wallace could answer the question. 
for they had not seen him since early in the day. But while they were saying so, the doorbell rang, and he came in, bent, bowed down, aged with grief, till he looked an older man by ten, twenty years than when they had seen him last. With a moan of unspeakable anguish, he dropped into a chair and bowed his head upon his hands. His daughters flew to him and enfolded him in loving arms, tears of sympathy streaming down their cheeks. Father, dear, dear father, they said, oh, do not be so distressed. It may not be true. Alas, alas, I dare not hope it, he groaned. My boys, my boys, would God I had died for you. My sons, oh, my sons, such a fate, such a terrible fate. But dear father, think how happy they are now, said Mildred, weeping as she spoke. Yes, there is great and undeserved mercy mingled with the terrible affliction, he replied. They cannot return to me, but I shall go to them. Thanks be unto God for that blessed hope. But my wife, your mother, this will kill her. Your father, said Mildred, do not forget the precious promise, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. We have all agreed to try to hide it from her till she is stronger, the doctor remarked. We will have to school ourselves to look and act and speak as if no such news had reached our ears. An impossible task, I fear, sighed Mr. Keith. Marcia and I have had no secrets from each other since we were married, and it will be no easy task for me to conceal my anguish of heart from her now, but God helping me, I will. To father and daughters, the next few days were a severe ordeal, for it was difficult indeed to hide their bitter grief from the love-sharpened eyes of the tender wife and mother. They were cheerful when they could force themselves to be so and when tears would have their way, they talked of Fan, and seemed to be mourning afresh over her early death, or spoke of Ada in her far-distant home, and how faint was the hope that she would ever be with them again. Mrs. Keith seemed somewhat surprised at these renewed manifestations of grief that had appeared to be softened by the lapse of time, but asking no questions, she simply talked to them of Fan's blessedness, and the good work Ada was doing for the master and of the time when they would again be in a united family in the glorious land where partings are unknown. She was regaining strength every day, and in seeing that they felt well regarded for their efforts at self-control and were encouraged to persevere with them. And they did, though at times, especially when she would speak of Rupert and Don, talking hopefully of soon hearing of their safe arrival in California, it was almost beyond their power and they were compelled to find some pretext for leaving the room, so that for a short space they might let grief have its way. Mildred was sitting with her mother one morning, her babe asleep by her side in the cradle, that had been occupied successively by herself and all of her brothers and sisters. Percy quietly busied with a picture book. The two ladies had their sewing, and Annis was studying her lessons on the far side of the room. The doorbell rang, and Celestia Ann ushered in a woman a resident of the town with whom the ladies had never had any acquaintance, though they knew her by name. Her call was therefore a surprise, but they gave her a pleasant 
good morning and a polite invitation to be seated. She sat down, made a few remarks about the weather and the state of the roads, then looking Mrs. Keith full in the face said, I suppose you've heard the news about the last party that set off from here for California? Mildred made a warning gesture, but it was too late and doubtless would not have been heeded even could it have been given in time. What news? Mrs. Keith asked in a startled tone, while Annis rose and came forward in an excited manner, her eyes wild with affright. So you haven't heard, pursued the caller, with the satisfaction of the newsmonger in a fresh customer for her wares. Well. Mrs. Slate, interrupted Mildred, I must beg you to say no more. We have heard a vague report, which may be entirely untrue, but have been trying to keep it from mother, for she is too weak to bear it. What is it, Mildred, my child? What is it? gasped the poor invalid turning deathly pale. Dear mother, don't ask. It would only distress you, and it may be all a lie, Mildred said, going to her and putting her arms about her in a tender, loving fashion. Tell me, my child, it is useless to try to keep me in ignorance now. Suspense would be worse than the direst certainty, faltered the mother. But there is no certainty, mother dear, Mildred said, pityingly, her tears falling fast as she spoke. Oh, be content not to hear what can but give you pain. She ought to know, said Mrs. Slate. She's got to hear it sooner or later, and what's the use of putting her off so? I'll tell you, Mrs. Keith. They say the train was attacked by the Indians, and most of the men killed, your two boys among the rest. I felt it my duty to come and tell you about it, in case you hadn't heard, and to call your attention to the fact that this appears to be the way providence has taken for to punish you for bringing em up to care so much for gold and leave the house this instant and never venture to darken its doors again cried mildred supporting her fainting mother with one arm while she turned full of righteous indignation toward her tormentor with a stamp of her foot to enforce the order she could not refrain from giving i've only done my duty muttered the woman rising and sailing from the room with her head in the air Oh, mother, mother, sobbed Mildred. Annis, help me to lay her on the lounge and then run for Charlie. I think he's at home in the office. The cruel, cruel creature. How could she? Oh, how could she? Annis, wildly weeping, hastened to obey. Oh, Millie, Millie, is mother dying? Is it true about the boys? She has only fainted, and it is only a report about the boys that may not be at all true, Mildred said. Now call Celestia Ann to help me and you run for Charlie as fast as you can. Oh, Zilla, she said in a tone of relief as the door opened and Mrs. Ormsby came in. I'm glad you've come. Run to mother's room and get the bottle of ammonia. Greatly startled and alarmed by the glimpse she had got of her mother's white, unconscious face, Zilla ran to do her sister's bidding, while Celestia Ann, summoned by Annis, hastened to render all the assistance in her power. And poor, terrified Annis, flew like the wind in search of the doctor. She found him in, and though scarcely able to articulate, made him understand that his presence was wanted with all speed. She darted back, and he caught up his medical case and followed close at her heels. Mrs. Keith still lay white and insensible, the three women busy about her, with half-despairing efforts to restore her to consciousness. They began to fear it was something more than an ordinary faint. Had that sudden, cruel announcement taken her life, 
happy for her if it were so, but oh, how could husband and children spare her? Mildred turned upon her husband a look of agonized inquiry. Do not be alarmed, love, he said. She will revive presently, I trust. Some moments of trying suspense ensued. Then her eyes opened wide and glanced about from one to the other. What has happened? she asked in feeble accents. Have I been worse? In a faint, mother. But you have come out of it now, and I hope will be none the worse after a little, the doctor answered cheerfully. But as soon as the words had left his lips, memory had resumed her sway. Oh, my sons, she cried. My Rupert and Dawn, can it be true that I shall see them no more upon earth? Have they been cut off in the pride and beauty of their early manhood by a deadly foe? Oh, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for my heart is overwhelmed, she cried clasping her hands and lifting her streaming eyes to heaven. Dear mother, sobbed Mildred, leaning over her in tenderest solicitude, if they are gone from earth, it is to the better land, where pain and sin and sorrow are unknown, and where you will one day join them and all your loved ones, but it may not be true. It is but a rumor. Then how cruel to tell me, she sighed, and to add that I was to blame for their going. Ah, God knows I have tried to train them for heaven, and not to set their affections upon the perishing things of time and sense. Yes, mother, your children can all testify to that, Mildred said. Zilla added, Indeed we can. If any of us are worldly-minded, it is not the fault of either of our parents, and it was not the love of gold that sent our dear brothers on that journey. One was seeking health, but the other went to take care of him, and with a longing for change and exciting adventure. At that moment, Mr. Keith came in with a letter in his hand. His face was brighter and happier than they had seen it for many days. Eagerness and anxiety mingled with its gladness. From dawn to you, my dear, he cried, holding the letter high, with its address towards her. Oh, then it is not true. Not true, was a simultaneous joyous exclamation from his daughters, and Mildred, embracing the weeping invalid, said, Do you hear that, dearest mother? A letter from Dawn, and you may dry your tears. Her husband held it out to her with a glad and loving smile. She grasped it eagerly, but in vain her trembling fingers essayed to tear it open. Let me, dear wife, he said, taking it gently from her. Read it she said feebly my eyes are dim oh my rupert is he living also mr keith glanced down the page let the letter fall and dropped his face into his hands with a heart-rending groan zillah snatched it from the floor her hand trembling like an aspen leaf her face overspread with a deathly pallor my son my son my first-born son sobbed mrs keith gone gone in that dreadful way yet thank god that dear dawn is left and blessed be his holy name that he lives and reigns and none can say his hand or say unto him what doest thou read someone groaned the father i cannot zillah silently handed the letter to the doctor and he read it in a low moved tones often interrupted by the bitter weeping of his listeners 
Rupert's death was a heavy blow, and for a time his parents seemed well-nigh crushed by it, yet not a murmur was ever heard from either. The language of their lips and lives was, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. The manner of their son's death made it the hardest blow they had ever received. Yet as the months rolled on, they learned to speak calmly and tenderly of him as having gone before to the heavenly home where they themselves would soon follow. Don's letter received a reply in due time. It said his speedy return would be joyfully welcomed, yet as he was now on the ground, he was free to stay for a time, if such were his choice. So he remained fascinated by the hope of success in his search for gold, and feeling a great repugnance to going back and facing his townsmen without having secured at least a moderate portion of that which he had come so far to find. End of chapter 12